This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Hurley. Season 5, Episode 1, Deceit and Dirty Money, an interview with the author, Jim Hurley. This is our second book review and interview in our series, Meet the Author. Jim Hurley is the author of Deceit and Dirty Money, his debut novel, which was published in 2000. He is also the creator and host of the popular podcast series, The San Francisco Experience, which focuses on all things San Francisco. Deceit and Dirty Money is available in printed or electronic format on Amazon.com, and an audio version, or a book on tapes version, narrated format, is also available. It's entitled Dirty Money, and it's available on free-ebooks.net. But first, Jim's biography. He was born and raised in New York and relocated to San Francisco in the late 1960s. A graduate of the London School of Economics, he pursued a career in the financial services industry. His early career included three assignments in Latin America, namely Ecuador, Chile, and Mexico, where he specialized in corporate finance. The second half of his career saw him focused on investment management and private banking in San Francisco. Active in the civic life of San Francisco and still an ardent internationalist, he serves on two sister city boards which link the city by the bay to Cork, Ireland and to Bangalore, India to promote trade, investment and cultural exchanges. He and his wife have a daughter, a son-in-law, and two wonderful grandsons. They split their time between their homes in San Francisco and Sonoma County. Jim served as the president of the San Francisco Public Library Commission from 1992 to 1996. The commission oversees the 27 public library branches of one of America's premier public library systems. An avid reader, like his mother, from an early age, Jim enjoyed writing essays and short stories as a youngster. He honed his writing skills as he acquired a law degree. And while on assignment in Ecuador and Chile, in his spare time, he wrote for a bi-weekly business newsletter called Business Latin America, which focused on business and economic stories for U.S. readers. Also, while in Latin America, he worked as a stringer for the BBC, The Economist, and The Times of London. My first idea for a novel surfaced while we were living in Chile. Santiago, the capital, was our home base for two years. One of my colleagues in London approached me and asked me to do an analysis on a railroad company called the Antofagasta Bolivia Railway Company. 
It was the first listing on the London Stock Exchange by alphabetical order and was founded by British investors in 1873, only eight years after Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. And it was founded to haul phosphates from Bolivia and the Atacama Desert to the port of Antofagasta for export to England. At that point, Bolivia actually had a seacoast, and Antofagasta was its principal port. But the War of the Pacific in 1879 between Chile, Bolivia, and Peru saw Chile take over Antofagasta, with Bolivia losing its coast and its principal port to become an isolated, landlocked country, which it still is to this day. All of the rolling stock of the railroad had been manufactured in England. Names like Altrincham, Manchester, and Stockport were engraved on the rolling stock and the railroad cars of the railroad. The Atacama Desert, the War of the Pacific, this exotic antique railway, and some colorful local robber baron families seemed like a great making for a book. I drafted up a book proposal and I sent it to several New York publishers and waited for a response. A month or so later, Viking Publishing came back to me asking for a 70-page outline of my book, which I eagerly undertook. But several months later, I was transferred to Mexico, and I had to put the book on hold, not knowing when I could resume. And that was 1982, and it's still on hold. I felt like that fisherman always pining after the big one that got away. And of course, the longer I waited to put pen to paper for this Antofagasta Chilean novel, which I was supposed to prepare the 70-page summary for, the longer I waited, the idea became more stale, the characters sort of receded into the mist of time, and the plot became more fuzzy. In any case, back in San Francisco by the mid-1980s, I did some political commentary on local PBS affiliates, and I also guest-hosted a community TV program which focused on the local political scene. Again, all of these broadcasting activities were in my spare time, as my daytime job was pursuit of a career in investments and banking. But the writing bug never actually left me. After serving as president of the Library Commission, I decided to take action. I recognized that my writing style was legalistic, it was objective, and very business-oriented. It wasn't a style that really lent itself to great fiction writing. So I enrolled in a creative writing class 
at UC Berkeley and then later at San Francisco State University to transition my writing style to more fiction-friendly genre and style of writing. At the same time, a couple of potential storylines began to surface around me, and I decided it was time to write that great American novel. The old writer's adage, write what you know about, resonated with me very strongly. Having a full-time career in banking, raising a young family, and all the obligations that go with that, I knew that I had very little time and resources for the process of writing, such as doing the research for the plot and finding the time to write, and so on. But my business contacts and the San Francisco social scene provided plenty of material for a fictional account many times over. I knew of a case of a young banker who had unwittingly become involved in a money laundering scheme for one of his Latin American clients, and it resonated with me. Subsequently, this young man was blackmailed into aiding the former client in the illicit movement of tens of millions of dollars in drug-related proceeds. And so began the kernel of my idea for Deceit and Dirty Money. Deceit and Dirty Money is a financial thriller set in the late 1990s in San Francisco, long before the age of smartphones and the internet, electric cars, and the like. It's hard to believe that we would look back on the 1990s as a simpler, gentler time. And of course, it was also the heyday of Bill Clinton as president. Concepts such as 9-11 terrorism and global financial meltdowns were pure fantasies of fiction which had, ne which had never come to pass, but which would come to pass shortly after I wrote the book. In the book, the protagonist is Chris Callan. He's a young investment banker with a very high opinion of himself. He's smart, he's ambitious, went to all the right schools, and he's in his early 30s and looking for that important career breakout. But his judgmental blind spots are fueled by hubris and a lack of true life experience. All of his experience is either academic and in the banking world. And that lack of experience and hubris set him up to be a patsy for a San Francisco social register couple who are very powerful and who desperately need a fall guy to save their fortune, their business, and their social standing in San Francisco. Chris's moral or character shortfalls are filled to a certain extent by his new love interest, the sophisticated but vulnerable Ming Chen. Chris doesn't realize what a whirlpool of deceit and manipulation 
he has fallen into until it is almost too late, which jeopardizes his own life and Ming's. In retrospect, while I didn't consciously set out to write a San Francisco noir novel, the book has many noir overtones and a noir character or two. But I'm not going to give away the, uh, the ending. You'll have to read it for yourself. But at this point, let me read to you the opening scene of Deceit and Dirty Money to give you a sense of how the book unfolds. Chapter 1, Uña de Gato, Mexico. The Mercedes careened off the narrow road in a cloud of rust-colored dust and skidded into a drainage ditch. It came to a halt with a shudder, tilting between the parched, reddish banks of this trench that rarely saw water, the blue glow of the headlights panning the scrubby landscape. If only he had looked to his left, instead of dialing a number on the car phone, he might have seen the assassin. But it was too late. His vision dimmed, and the tight grip of his fingers loosened till his hands fell limp and lifeless at his side. The life of wealth and privilege Jorge Ruiz had lived came to an abrupt end in the gritty Mexican town of Uña de Gato on the road from Matamoros to Monterrey. Some young boys spotted the wrecked Mercedes that warm May evening and bicycled into the Pueblo to call the police. When the police arrived, the hood of the car was open and a plume of steam rose from the engine. The car was tipped to one side, the driver slumped over the steering wheel. The burly of the two officers shinnied down the side of the ditch and trained his flashlight on the driver. Senor called out. Ruiz's eyes were open. He looked startled. The officer called to his partner for help, opening the driver's door. The two struggled with the jammed door, gravity working against them because of the angle of the car. Steadying himself between the side of the ditch and the automobile, the partner pulled the driver away from the steering wheel. A trickle of blood ran from the victim's nose. Behind his ear, the hair seemed moist and matted. Esta muerto, the officer declared. He must have missed the turn and lost control. That's the opening of Deceit and Dirty Money. And let me move on here. When I set out to write the book, I struggled between letting the plot and the characters flow organically as I wrote, or should I have a structure with a discrete and very distinct outline? And if I had an outline, how was that outline, how was I going to fit my novel and the organic creative process into that outline? 
How could I get and keep control of characters' personalities? How many chapters are you supposed to have in a novel? What was the structure of the book to be? Reading other authors and works was a great guide, but I felt like I lacked a real roadmap. So I decided to create an organic outline, if you will, merging the two approaches. And that gave me the roadmap that I really need, needed and the direction to write the book. First, I drew very detailed profiles of each character. And they were like three-page profiles of each character, not only what they looked like physically, what their background was, how they dressed, where they went to school, all the rest of it, but all of their physical and personality attributes. I wanted each character to be very, very clear and very real to me. I figured that if those characters were not crystal clear to me, right down to the very last physical, emotional, spiritual detail of them as characters, they would not be clear to my readers. And I hope you will see that when you read Deceit and Dirty Money in the character of the, pro, uh, the profile of the characters. And then the plot. I devised a story arc or a narrative arc. And a narrative arc is an extended or continuing storyline. And a narrative arc unfolds in episodes. A traditional narrative arc has five elements. First, the exposition, which is the reader's introduction to the story. And that is followed, secondly, by the rising action, which is essentially the rising action is when conflict begins to ramp up between the characters. Thirdly, there's a climax. A climax is reached as part of this story arc and which then comes down to falling action, and then finally to resolution. So when you speak of a narrative arc or a story arc, there are the five elements that are present in any narrative arc. A character arc is the evolution of the person, of the character, and the transformation or inner journey of a character over the course of a story. The character begins as one kind of a person, and then as a result of the action of the story, he or she is transformed for the better, and sometimes for the worse, gradually transforming into a very different person. The story arc refers to the structure and the shape of the story. But rather than talk about the theory of the story arc. Let me read to you a review of the, my book, which was done in the Knob Hill Gazette. The Knob Hill Gazette is a San Francisco-based newspaper, and this review was done in 2000. It was written by Jerry Garchik, 
and let me read it to you. Deceit and Dirty Money. While the trustees of San Francisco's Museum of Modern Art, SFMOMA, have some exciting galas and board meetings, they're nothing like the one described at the dramatic end of Jim Hurley's recent novel, Deceit and Dirty Money. Nor could the shooting event Hurley portrays have been based on meetings at the city's library commission over which he presided from 1992 to 1996. That was during the reign of Mayor Frank Jordan, who wrote a glowing testimonial for the book. Although the story takes place in San Francisco, it would seem more at home in Don Johnson's former playground, Miami, in the 70s and 80s. It's a world of big-time drug smuggling and high-finance money laundering, a world vividly dramatized with depressing agony in Steven Soderbergh's award-winning film, Traffic. Hurley has actually written three books in one. Just as Moby Dick presents all we'd ever want to know about whales and whaling, Hurley gives a Harvard Business School case study on money laundering methods, as well as laws and ethics. The second story is a fast-paced page-turner a la Mickey Spillane and Elmore Leonard, culminating in the dramatic revenge murders at the museum party. The victims, two of San Francisco's beautiful people, paid back for their lurid involvement in laundering tens of millions of dollars for a Mexican drug kingpin. But the third and most interesting aspect of the book is the author's Balzacian description of this town's rich and famous. We get a clear view at the glitzy gala. Quote, Guests were beginning to arrive, skeletally thin, middle-aged matrons from Pacific Heights, resplendent in jewels, air-kissed each other hello. Great care was taken to avoid touching or brushing against each other for fear of spoiling the coiffure or marring the professionally applied makeup. Their husbands, companions, were slightly more relaxed in their formal evening attire. Their bonhomie was a shallow patina of insincerity. Like, like male animals in the African savanna, they were suitably deferential to those with the mm -hmm, bigger net worth. This was San Francisco's social register. They, they were old money, some were new money, and others were just hangers-on, bathing in the afterglow of success, wealth, and power. Two of these big names meet a bloody and sinister end amid the champagne flutes, balloons, and tulips in the museum lobby. It's an American film noir with a, an existential denouement.
witnessing these murders, none of San Francisco's elite was about to be a hero and tackle the gunmen. Like lemmings, they all rushed for the, for the door in the same direction into the safety of the street. That direction we trust was to proceed one block north to the offices of the Knob Hill Gazette to fill, uh, to fill in our Walter Winchell on what was really important to all those and what they said and what they did and when. Frank Jordan urges, quote, San Francisco social set and entrepreneurs to buy Hurley's book because, quote, it pokes fun at some of the more obvious habits and shortcomings while encapsulating their essence. Well, if he's right, then the set he's referring to is the set of Jim Jones and Dan White. It's not the San Francisco of Clark Gable and Jeanette MacDonald that we all know and love. Now is it? Thank you very much, Jerry Garchik. Again, as I mentioned earlier, there is a, a noir element to the book which and to the plot, which I didn't intentionally set up, but that's just the way it turned out. So on that note, uh, in conclusion, Deceit and Dirty Money is available at Amazon.com, both in printed form and electronic form. And uh, again, the title there is Deceit and Dirty Money. As I said earlier, an audio version, books on tape narrated version, which runs for 11 hours and 45 minutes, is available on free-ebooks.net. This has been the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Hurley, reporting from San Francisco, America's favorite city. <laughs>